I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. For all of our outward success, Bruce and I both agree that the most important anchor over the years has been our families. We were lucky enough to find remarkable, strong, independent women to push us and challenge us and ground us and call us out on our BS. Women who helped us become better versions of ourselves and forced us to continually re-examine our priorities. Michelle and Patty also gave us the single greatest gift of our lives, the chance to be fathers, to experience the joys and trials and profound humility of being husbands and dads. We spent some time trading notes about what wives and kids continue to teach us, what values we want to pass on, what examples we want to set, and what kind of country we want to leave behind for them to inherit. We're now dads. Oh, yeah. And uh, how, how did that change you? How much on-the-job training did you still have to do? Was there still a lot of stuff you had to work out before you kind of got to the point where you said, all right, this is, this is the kind of dad I want to be? The problem that I had was I didn't trust myself for a long, long, long time with someone else's feelings. All you have is faith to go on. If you take a baby step, you'll be able to take another one. Where did that faith come from? It comes out of the love in your life. In my case, Patty was an enormous source of love in my life and a deep well of faith for me, gave me the faith in myself to risk parts of myself that I had never risked before and say, hey, I, I think I'm there at a place where I can, I can hold this down and let the chips fall where they may. If it all crumbles and comes apart and winds up in ruin, then that's what happened, you know? But if it doesn't, what if it doesn't? Then what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, 
What if suddenly I find myself with a family and with a long-standing love? Who, who am I then? All of these things came into question way before being a, a dad. And, you know, Patty and I, we were just together and we were just loving, loving each other. That was, that was our business of the day, to build something. I'm 35, 36 years old. Uh, that's, that's getting up there, you know. And deep inside, I, I want to have a family. And I felt like I've got to be honest with her. I said, Patty, I don't, I don't know if I can make this. And she just said, well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, she says, it's okay if we take it a day at a time. And so we did. I came home one night. I think I was away for a few days. And uh, I walked in the room. He says, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. That's what it sounded like. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> and we're on the bed. She tells me. I look away, and she doesn't know exactly how I'm going to respond. But there's a mirror on the inside of the door. And she says, hey, I just saw you smile. <laughs> that was it. Many yeah. smiles later, here we sit, you know. <laughs> My boy about to be 30 years old. It moves, man. Yeah. Yeah, well. Now, he, your he, oldest, how old is? is Malia's, 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 Malia's 22. 22. Sasha's 19. So, so I meet Michelle uh, while I am working at a law firm for the summer. She's already a lawyer. So she's younger, but had gone straight through school. I had taken my diversion into community organizing after college. So, so I'm an older law student. I'm 28. She's 25. And she comes from a com completely orderly family. And... They had a big extended family beyond that. Michelle and I always talk about how part of the attraction that we had for each other, in addition to her being very attractive mm -hmm. and funny and smart as a whip, was <laughs> that in me, she saw some things that had been missing in her childhood, which was adventure, the open road, a bunch right. of risk-taking, uh, traveling the world, and and so that appealed to her. I I looked at her and, and her family and I thought, oh, you know, well they seem to know how to set this up. Right? I, I had a vision of, of of wanting to make sure that my kids were in a place of love. And I liked the idea of an, not necessarily a big family, but a but an extended family. Like there, were, there was a community of people very who nice. were all part of yeah. their lives, right? And Michelle's family was very much like that. And, and Michelle, you know, she wasn't shy. You know, pretty early on, she just says, look, I, I really value my career, but the thing I really want to be is a, a mom. Yeah. Ah. And, and I really care deeply about family. 
that very first summer that we were together, I thought to myself, this is somebody I could see spending my life with. Didn't mean that it was going to be, right? you know, uh, that I'd have the wherewithal to go ahead and commit. And so when I come back, uh, I'm graduating from law school. I live in her apartment, which is upstairs from her parents' apartment. Her father had died in the, in the interim. He had some health issues, and I had flown back and, and been with her during that time. And I think from her perspective, she maybe saw that I'm not a guy who was going to be afraid to be there for her uh, when she needed it. So by the time we get there, look, once you come back to a city and you've moved in in her place, now the clock has to be ticking because it's like, well, you're there. What, 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 <laughs> what are you doing here? And uh, I did not have a big panic about it. There was a part of me, and this goes to our earlier conversation about just being a man in, in a culture that says in comedies and television and popular culture, it's always like, man, you're going to get... Of course. Yeah, they, <laughs> they got their hooks in you. And, That's right. And you, you got to try to wriggle free. And are you ready to... I'm surprised you didn't have a bigger issue with that given your history. Yeah. Your familial history. Yeah. And, I and, really and am. I was under no illusions that the family life I would have would be one in which I could sit back and just be the lord of the manor mm -hmm. and have her you know, doting on me and yeah. fixing I knew from my the meals. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen with Patty. Yeah, yeah. I, it, that, that just was not going to no. be an option. I found with Patty, she was trying to define for me a broader sense of maleness and of masculinity, a freer sense of it. <laughs> and that, that scared me. <laughs> that I've met someone who can change me mm. and who can assist me in changing myself. Mm. That's a great influence to allow into your life. Mm. But you realize if you don't do that, you are not going to have a full life, you know? So yeah, it, no, it's the catch-22. Well, maybe because in my family, it was my mother and my grandmother who were the adult figures that I both relied on most and respected most. That it was natural for me to see women as my equals, as my friends, as my partners in work yeah. or play. And it also meant that the kind of relationship where a woman's just batting her eyes at me and telling me how wonderful I am, I'd get bored, right? Or I, I just couldn't take that seriously because, well, that certainly wasn't who my grandmother was. And that, that wasn't who my mother was. I, you know, I expected to be challenged. I expected to be questioned. Uh, and my the women I found most interesting, most attractive, were women who interested me because of how they thought. I'm not saying I wasn't paying attention to how they looked, but sure. th their ability to make me laugh, their ability to make me see something I hadn't seen before, uh, their ability to force me into uh, asking questions about who I was and what I wanted and 
what right. I expected. All, all that was something I naturally gravitated towards. And I, I don't know, I, I liked the idea of having something kind of hard. Hey, very similar to uh, Ms. De, uh, my redheaded gal. There, yeah, right? absolutely. Patty went out with a lot of guys, yes. and she left a lot of broken. A hearts. A lot of broken hearts out there <laughs> in, you in, know? In, in her trail, and I, and I was and I was around. You know, I said, "Damn, she's living like I live." In the way she was approaching her relationships, and she didn't like to get tied down. She didn't want. She had the leash, you know, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. that I found I found that attractive about her, and right. I, I found it like. You know what, I, I need somebody with that kind of power. This is somebody who is my equal and that I l am always gonna think highly of and e e even when I'm mad, yeah. Yeah. even when we're in an argument, I'm gonna say, yeah, but she's something. You know, she's, period, period <laughs> full stop, right? Because, because to me at least, if you didn't have that, then you wouldn't weather the storms. If you're gonna have a family, if you aren't choosing a partner who you have confidence is going to pass on strength and values and common sense and smart to your kids. And when I looked at Michelle, I could say she was sui generis. I didn't know anybody like her. I thought even if the marriage didn't work out, I would always admire and respect her. And so having been with her, I would, have never, I would never regret that. So we, you know, I, I asked her to marry uh, me at uh, that that summer when when I had moved in, and 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 then so I was thirty one, and so then um, we had this nice stretch of about three years mm -hmm. where she was doing her thing and her career, and I was doing mine, and then we started trying to have kids. It took a while. Michelle had a, a couple miscarriages. And, uh, and we had to kind of work at it. And when Malia was finally born, we were more than ready to be parents, uh, right? Because there'd been this six-year stretch in which probably you. for about half of that, we had been trying. So, so there was no surprise to it. There was no, are you sure? But I had no doubt the minute I saw that little creature <laughs> with those big eyes looking up oh, at man. me, I said, my goodness, I will do anything for you. I know. And when the second one came, when Sasha showed up, I felt the exact same way, you know, and the love of being a father was not something I had to work on. Yeah, I mean, I, that, it was just, it was physical, it was Emotional, spiritual, you know, the attachment to my children, I felt entirely and completely. And I, and I thought to myself, okay, if the baseline is unconditional love, I've got that. It's something I have. And we had an incident where Patty was two months pregnant. She had some bleeding. Mm -hmm. So we go to the doctors, go in the office. I'm standing there and suddenly I realize there isn't anything I wouldn't do in the world right now. If somebody said there's a lion in the hall, can you please go and get him out of the, out of the building for now? There's a bear out there. There was nothing I wouldn't have done to have Patty and the baby be all right. Yeah. It was visceral. It was visceral, and it was my first acquaintanceship 
was unconditional love. There was a fear. I felt a fearless love for the first time in my life. First time in my life. I didn't, I never knew that I'd be capable of even feeling that. You know, all I want to do right now is be the man that my wife, Evan, was, was born first and my son needs. You just don't want to disappoint him. You don't want to disappoint him. Man, the idea of disappointing yeah. your family and, and not being there and doing right, you just, you yeah. couldn't, I could not abide. I thought, oh, this would, this would be. And I think that was the question, am I capable of not disappointing? Yeah. I wasn't sure. You're never completely sure, I suppose, but but after the children were born and you start to find the resources that you have inside you that you didn't know were there, that is, is a gift you get from your children and from your wife. Your acknowledgement of a new self and the realization of your manhood. You know, it was huge. You know, I woke up. I felt as someone, not necessarily someone different, but someone so much further down the road than I thought maybe I'd ever get. This is one place where I do think the idea of what a means to be a man changed in a real way. By the time I had Malia, it wasn't just that I was completely absorbed and fascinated and in love with this bundle of joy and this woman who had gone through everything to give me this joy. There was, I think, a, a sense that oh, dads should want to spend time with their kids. And mm -hmm. should want to ideally, you know, <laughs> burp them and change diapers. And, yeah, and I took the night shift. So did I, because I was a night owl. Right? <laughs> so was I. <laughs> and there'd be some breast milk in the freezer, and <laughs> I had a set of instructions. And midnight and two o'clock in the morning, I'd be patting them on the back <laughs> and feeding them and putting I loved them, all that. putting them it. on my on my laps, and they're staring up at you and. I'm reading to them and yeah. talking to them and I used to love playing music there. for them. Yeah. And I think the joys of that were something that, you know, in the same way that for a long time, men couldn't even see the delivery, right? I mean, that was like taboo. Yeah, they didn't let you in. I, I, I completely loved that. And the timing was good because Malia was born. She's a Fourth of July baby. Wow. The state legislature was out. I was already in the state legislature at that time. The law school was out. I was teaching law at the time. I could put my law practice on hold. So I just had all this time to just wallow in. That's good. And then Sasha was born. She was a summer baby. Same kind of thing. Now, here, here's the one thing that I I had to wrestle with. And and Michelle challenged me with. And, and, and the challenge of fatherhood for me was... The nature of my work was exhausting, all-absorbing, and often took me out of town. The emotion, emotional investment in fatherhood was never hard for me. 
there was nothing I enjoyed more than just hanging out with my kids, listening to them as they get got older and started having their own little insights and the discovery of the world, right. the reacquaintance with wonder that they provide, looking at a leaf or a snail or right. asking questions about why this and why that. Sure. All that stuff, I love children's books, love children's movies. I, I was all in. <laughs> the only thing I didn't love, you know, children's pizza, I always <laughs> thought was a little bit... <laughs> they they like that little those little flat cheese pizzas that don't have anything on them. And, but 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 what I was going to say though is is that eventually it wasn't summer, and eventually I've got to go down to Springfield, Illinois, a three hour drive for the state legislature. And when I get back, I've got town hall meetings that I've got to do. Right. I've got, and then eventually I'm running for office, and then you know I'm gone for five days at a time. And from Michelle's perspective, in which family was not just a matter of love, was not just a matter of being present when you are there, but was a matter of, no, physically being present because you've made choices and organized your life so that you can be with your family more. Right. So you had your children, let me say, young in your work life. Yeah. All right. I had my children relatively late in my work you life. Were su- you were sufficiently well-established that you could set your own Absolutely. terms. Absolutely. You'd be had, like, if I don't want to tour right now, I don't have to no, tour. I had already gone to the top of the hill and over the other side. You know, I was like, I had a certain kind of success I wasn't going to have again, didn't expect to have it again, wasn't pursuing to have it again. I was happy now. I'm just, I'm going to be a working, playing musician. And I had all that out of the way, really, before Patty and I even got together, you know. So I was. that, that, That makes sense. Yeah. So I was at a point in my life where the relationship and the family had really become a a priority, and I could give myself to it because of where I was. And also, you're a musician. Musicians create their own schedule if you've had a certain amount of success. You get up when you want to. You go in a studio when you want to. You put your record out when you want to. You go where you want to go. You come home when you want to come home. You can say, I'm going to go away for three days. I'm going to go away for three months. But if you know, when I go away for three months, it's bad when I go and when I come back. When I, when I go when I go away for three days, it's okay when I come back. I better start going away for three days. That's a better. It's the better choice. We figured out things like, well, whenever you're away for more than three weeks, that's bad. And now for a touring musician, that's not much. But all we knew was that when we passed a certain point, it wasn't good for our relationship. Mm-hmm. We started to whoops, split into other and separate lives. Anything that's going to keep add to my stability, I want as a part of my life. The things that are destabling my life, I don't want those as a part of my life now because they will poison me. <laughs> <laughs> and they will poison my beautiful love here, you know. And so we slowly figured all this out together. Right. And, you know, through making some mistakes and 
You're king on the road. Everybody just wants to say yes. And you're not king at home. No, how can I do this for you? <laughs> what can I do to make you happier? What can I give? Oh, what? But my my house. You take my my girl. Take my girlfriend. You know, it's like it's like everybody just. And what can I possibly give to you, the man who writes the songs that the whole world sings? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so you're out there and you're going like, oh, yeah, this isn't so bad. I mean, what what is you know? It, but when you come back, you are not king. <laughs> you are the chauffeur. You are the short order cook in the morning. You know? And the thing is, you've got to be at the place in your life where, and you love it. What you're saying about your schedule, though, and, and where you were at your career, that is a difference. Because essentially, we have kids, and within the span of two or three years, I am suddenly being catapulted. I mean, look, Sasha was, when I ran for the U.S. Senate, Sasha's only three years old. When, wow. I'm, when I'm sworn in as a U.S. Senator, Sasha's four, and Malia's eight, something like that. Three years later, I'm president of the United States. And in the interim, for a year and a half, I've been on the road, not for three-week spans, but for... Yeah. Big chunks of time. What? Look, look at all of you. Look at all of you. Goodness. And it was hard. We got a couple more guys down here. This is, this is the lifeblood of this campaign. You know, volunteers like you guys coming in. You know, the burden I, I, I put on Michelle was enormous. Because mm -hmm. she was still, look, I, it wasn't even as if I was working for money that would allow her to take a break. She was still working, initially full-time, then part-time when I started running for president. Here's a you know, smart, accomplished woman who has her own career that she now has to adjust to my, my, my crazy ambitions. Yeah. I'm missing the girls terribly. The first six months of me running for president, I was miserable because I was missing that family bad. And we got through that only by virtue of Michelle's heroic ability to manage everything back home and the incredible gift of my daughters loving their daddy anyway. What I didn't anticipate was the fact that I get to spend much more time with my kids once I'm president. Yeah. Because now I'm living above the store that's right. <laughs> I have a 30-second commute. And so I just set up a, a, a rule. I'm having dinner with my crew at 6.30 every night, unless I'm you know, traveling. Uh, but you know, my travel schedule is, is, is very different now because people come to see you. Yeah. And... So unless I was overseas, I'm going to be home at 6.30 for dinner. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be sitting there, and I'm going to be entirely absorbed with stories about the annoying boys and the weird teacher and the drama in the cafeteria, reading Harry Potter and tucking them in and listening to whatever music they're now listening to. Yeah. And, and, and that actually was my lifeline, right? 
in, in an occupation in which I'm dealing daily with mayhem, chaos, crises, death, destruction, natural disasters, right? Uh, and and so I, I always say that the degree to which Michelle and those girls sacrificed and lifted me up, kept me going. Yeah. Prevented me from either getting cynical or despairing, reminded me why I was doing what I was doing, right. and and spurred me on because, man, this it better be worth it. What I accomplished, this job, this this work, yeah, is worth the time that I've spent away from them, and and the birthday parties, or the soccer games, or the, right. whatever that I've missed. You know, it, 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 that that better count. What do you think you learn being just a dad? Now, you know, we talked a little bit about being a husband, but I know it was tough being president. But let me explain to you how hard it is to make an album. Making an album is pretty hard. <laughs> I'm making a dumb joke. All right. <laughs> Listen, make it, make an I album. I had you make, for a minute, though. Make, I, I make, had you going for a minute. Make an album is, is, is pretty hard. <laughs> but it does seem a little more fun sometimes. <laughs> I think so. A little more fun. The, uh, what did you, so, you learn from being a dad? From being a dad, uh, so the hardest thing that I had to learn to do was to be still. I had some habits I, I wouldn't give up, old musician habits. Partly was my, the schedule I like to keep. I like to stay up till three or four in, in the morning, get up at 12 in the afternoon. And for the first several years of when our children, Patty was kind of, she was kind of letting me do it. I was picking up, because the kids were still babies, and so I was taking the night shift. Right. If they cried at night or if something happened at night, I, I was awake and I, I would. And then so when the morning came around, late morning came around, she'd kind of pick it up. And, but, you know, as the kids grew older, there was, there was a lot more morning work than there was night work. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of enjoying that. And she just came over to me and she says, you know, you don't have to get up. But if you don't, we're going to miss it. I mean, what do you mean? Well... Kids are at their best in the morning. That's when they're the most beautiful. It's when they have reawakened from a night of dreams. They're at their most gorgeous at that moment in the morning, and you're never going to see it. Okay, I don't think I want to miss that. You know. So I said, well, what am I going to do? He says, you're going to make breakfast. I said, I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> I don't know how to strum that freaking box. <laughs> Try to put me anyplace else and I'm no good to anybody. I said, well, you're going to learn. I got pretty good at it. I got pretty good at eggs. I got pretty good at, uh, like I say, I became a pretty good short order cook. If, if I could get a job at one point anywhere in any diner from, say, six to noon and I'd be <laughs> all right. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, uh, and she was right about the children. If I saw them in the morning, it was almost like I'd seen them for the entire day. And if I missed them in the morning, you could never quite make up for it for some reason. That was presentness. One, I was not my father. I didn't have to chase that ghost or worry about that any 
more. That was a part of my past. Uh, two, be present in this world wherever you are at any given moment. Be present in their lives. I used to think like if somebody interrupted me while I was writing, what the tip? Holy smokes. Do you know the great thoughts I'm thinking <laughs> right now? It's probably been the greatest American song ever. It could have been. Had and you I'm not being, walked in here. No, I'm being, that's right, I'm being interrupted. You know, so I, that's where I started. Yeah. All right? yeah. And where I ended up was I realized, oh, wait, 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 songs. Yeah, yeah. A good song is there forever. Music is there in my life forever. Children, gone. They grow up. So those, those were the initial those things I picked lessons. up from fatherhood. Yeah, man. What about yourself? What, what's the biggest lesson you learned from becoming a parent? You know, Michelle figured out much earlier than I did that kids are like plants. They need sun, soil, water, but some of them are oaks and some of them are pines and some of them are willows and some are bamboo. And mm -hmm. those seeds of who they are and the pace and ways in which they're gonna unfold are just uniquely theirs. I think I had a notion with Malia and Sasha, there was sort of a, a way of doing things. And what yeah, Michelle figured out earlier than I did, but I also ended up learning was each one is just magical in their own ways. They, a branch is going to sprout when it's going to sprout, <laughs> and uh, a flower is going to pop when it's going to pop. Right. And you know, you you just uh, roll with that unfolding, that unfurling of who they are, being comfortable just discovering them as opposed to feeling as if you've got, it as, a, as if it's a project, right? As sometimes you watch, there's a term now, helicopter parents, right? Yeah. Which, but that idea of, okay, I approach this the way I would approach some PowerPoint, <laughs> you know, uh, project and I've got to check every box right. and I've got to be, you know, this is when my kids has to be doing this yeah. and this is when they, you know, thinking of it more as just throw a bunch of stuff at them, be with them, play with them, teach them values. Uh, you know, the, we, we were good about saying to the girls things like, we're not going to sweat you on your grades. Right. But we are going to switch you on, did you put in some effort? Absolutely. Right. We're, we're not going to give you a hard time about making a mistake. But we will give you a hard time if you're lying about making a mistake. Mm -hmm. Or if you mistreated somebody, right? So, you know, you put some guardrails around them mm -hmm. uh, in terms of values. But... Otherwise, and I think this was particularly important because they were growing up in the White House. They had more than enough expectations and eyeballs on them. Jesus. And, <laughs> you know, Secret Service following them around. Oh, my and, God. At that you age, know, too. I mean, I remember, look, you know, we'd, we'd go, uh, you know, William 
or, or Sasha, they'd have a play date. Secret Service had to go to the house of the person oh, they were man. visiting and check everything out. <laughs> and the poor parents, you know, we, so we had to make friends with the parents and say, listen, sorry about the intrusion. And when they went to the mall or the movies, you know, they've got somebody. Oh, boy. You know, they handled it with such grace. They did. And so given all that, the last thing I wanted to do was to make them feel as if they have to be something. Right. As opposed to just being themselves. I still measure myself mm -hmm. and I still fall back on a lot of those attitudes about what does it mean to be a man. That's right. And if I had a son, I suspect I would have been tougher on him in some ways. And I'm wondering for you, with your boys, how conscious you had to be. You know, I had learned the great word in my house was no. You know, we, 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 we don't go outside of our comfort zone. And we don't talk about our feelings in this way. Uh, we don't cry over these things. And I realized at a very young age, I had taught my oldest son to say no to the things, things that he needed. And, and he was quite young. At the, I remember I came into him, he might have been eight or nine. He was still pretty young. But I remember going into his room one day and saying, Evan, I think I've taught you a very bad lesson. And I would like to apologize to you for doing that. I think I've taught you to not need me because I've been afraid of what that meant as your, as your father. And that's something I really, I need to apologize to you for. And I need to tell you, I need you. I need you so badly in my life, so, so dearly as my son, that I would like to try to connect with you now in a way that, 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 that I hadn't been doing, you know? And I realized that was going to take a lot of work. And so when I was working, instead of thinking, oh, I'm so busy now thinking great thoughts, I don't want to be disturbed. I stopped anytime he came in or any of the children came into my room, I stopped working. The only way to teach him that no wasn't the answer was for me to start saying, yes, 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 over and over and over again. Renegades Born in the USA is a Spotify original presented and produced by Higher Ground Audio in collaboration with Dustlight Productions. 
From Higher Ground Audio, Dan Fearman, Anna Holmes, Mukta Mohan, and Joe Paulson are executive producers. Carolyn Lipka and Adam Sachs are consulting producers. Janae Marable is our editorial assistant. From Dustlight Productions, Misha Youssef and Arwin Nix are executive producers. Elizabeth Nakano, Mary Knopf, and Tamika Adams are producers. Mary Knopf is also editor. Andrew Epen is our composer and mix engineer. Rainier Harris is our apprentice. Transcriptions by David Rodriguez. Special thanks to Rachel Garcia, the Dustlight Development and Operations Coordinator. Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, and Courtney Holt are executive producers for Spotify. Gimlet and Lydia Polgreen are consulting producers. Music supervision by Search Party Music. From the great state of New Jersey, special thanks to John Landau, Tom Zimney, Rob Labret, Rob DeMartin, and Barbara Carr. We also want to thank Adrian Gerard, Marilyn Laverty, Tracy Nurse, Greg Lynn, and Betsy Whitney. And a special thanks to Patty Scalfa for her encouragement and inspiration. And to Evan, Jess, and Sam Springsteen. From the District of Columbia, thanks to Christina Shockey, Mackenzie Smith, Katie Hill, Eric Schultz, Caroline Adler-Morales, Maron Heli-Mescal, Alex Platkin, Kristen Bartoloni, and Cody Keenan. And a special thanks to Michelle, Malia, and Sasha Obama. This is Renegades, born in the USA.